0: Pastor Tim here, and it's my great privilege to open up our new series, The Greatest of All Time, looking at the book of Hebrews. I'm going to ask that you uh, grab God's word as we open up uh, this new series, the series that we're going to dedicate the rest of the school year looking at, this series that is uh, focused in on teaching us what we needed to learn about a group of first century believers. Uh, These believers were having a difficult time. These believers were thinking about giving up and giving in on their faith. Uh, The following of Jesus had grown too difficult and too distressing for them, and many were going to go back to their roots in Judaism. But the writer, who we, we don't know who he is, in fact, this is one of the only anonymous books in all of Scripture, this writer writes to them, and he says that when they fix their eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of their faith that they would persevere and they would shine like stars. Now as we look at this letter in fact these 13 chapters of this letter is one long written sermon and two truths come from this written sermon. The first one is is while we don't know who the author is we know he knows a lot about the Old Testament We know that he loved the Old Testament and the work and religion of Judaism. All that came with being a Jewish follower. He loved it. But what he loved even more was Jesus Christ. He longed to tell his brothers and sisters in Christ how much he loved and how much he had grown to know about this Jesus. And the focus of this book is to tell all who will listen that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the greatest of all time. Now, as we look at this letter, we're going to see also that this book is going to make much of Jesus. It's going to tell us that Jesus' name is above every other name. It's going to tell us that knowing Jesus is going to lead us each and every day to the greatest joy, confidence, and the greatest endurance that we need to make this life, no matter how difficult at times it can be, to be the abundant life that Jesus called it to be. And so to that end, we are going to explore Hebrews under the heading, Jesus, the greatest of all time. Now that line there, the greatest of all time, is one of the biggest and most used arguments in Swartz. As a sports fan, I've been involved in many a discussions asking the question in any given sport, who is the greatest athlete ever to play that game. Well, in 2018, Complex magazine ran an article where it wanted to fulfill all of the arguments. It wanted to end all discussions about who the greatest was. It was headlined this way: Who's the GOAT? That is an acronym for who is the greatest of all time. And this is what they say. The acronym GOAT, or greatest of all time, gets thrown around rather casually these days. The one who is truly the greatest of all time in sports needs to be settled, and we felt it was the right time to settle any and all arguments about who the greatest was. So today, we end all debates, it says. We're gonna survey uh, that major sports and we're going to crown once and for all the greatest and put to rest any and all bar arguments, Twitter beefs about who is the best when it comes to basketball, football, baseball, soccer, tennis, boxing, and yes, even wrestling. They go on and say the task was simple. We're gonna make the case on why so-and-so deserves goat status And make no apologies for the choices we make. So look at our list. Fight us on our selections if you must. But we're confident that we have proven that these individuals are above and beyond anyone else in their respective sports. And then they list them. Here's who they said in a particular sport was the best. When it came to basketball, who can question it? Michael Jordan. In baseball, it was Babe Ruth. In tennis... It was Serena Williams. In football, it was the historic quarterback, Joe Montana. In soccer, it was the great Pele. In boxing, it was who he thought he was, and that is Muhammad Ali, the greatest. And when it came to WWF wrestling, wouldn't you know it was the nature boy, Ric Flair. You see, all of these are great men and women. All of these have all manner of accolades that put them in the discussion, in their day, and in their sport. There were very few that rivaled each of these individuals. But notice how Complex Magazine finishes the article. He says, in the case of each of these, we should all bow down to these gods living among us mere mortals. Now, while I'm a big sports fan and while I am a fan of many of these individuals and got to see some of them play and to hone their craft, i got to be honest with you, the title of greatest of all time lands on the shoulders of one individual. And that's Jesus Christ. You see, when it comes to Jesus Christ, there is no equal. When it comes to Jesus Christ, there is no contender. When it comes to Jesus Christ, there is no runner-up. Jesus Christ is, and always has been, and always will be the greatest of all time. He is the champion of champions. He is the pinnacle of pinnacles. And that is exactly what the book of Hebrews tells us. Now I want you to notice as we study this book of Hebrews 13 different times Jesus is going to be called greater than someone else. He's going to be greater and more superior than the patriarchs. He's going to be greater and more superior than the prophets. He's going to be greater and more superior to the angels. Listen to me, friends. There is no competition. There is no one who is better than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to learn about in this letter. And it's right out of the starting gate that the writer begins to gush about Jesus he can't get enough of all that he knows and loves about Jesus but sadly in this world many will disagree with the assessment that the book of Hebrews makes about Jesus being the greatest in fact a lot of people have things to say about Jesus atheist Richard Dawson Dawkins I'm sorry says that Jesus is just Santa Claus for adults Pop British singer uh, Elton John said it this way, Jesus is a compassionate, super-intelligent gay man who understood human problems. Again, uh, these earthly definitions of Jesus are a mockery of who Jesus really is. They are blasphemy to who and what our Lord and Savior is all about. And so I want to not listen to fools try to talk about their view of Jesus. I want to go go to God's own words. And I want us to look at Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four, where we will see three reasons why God the Father gives Jesus the title, the greatest of all time. Let's look at the text. The book of Hebrews begins like this in verse one. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, that is Jesus Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And Jesus upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior or better than the angels, as, his na- as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to this passage, I pray that it will reveal to us who You are. And in knowing who You are more and more, that we might know ourselves, that we might know our sin, and we may know what we are called to because we are living in relationship with You. Thank You for being our greatest, the hero of heroes. And I pray that in this study, we may honor You in all that is said and done. We love You and give You praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. Three reasons God the Father gives as to why Jesus is the greatest of all time. First of all, our text tells us God the Father says Jesus is the greatest of all time because he speaks fully and finally through Jesus. He fully and finally speaks through Jesus. I love how the writer starts verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke. Not stop there. The writer of Hebrews doesn't start with the earthly ministry of Jesus. He doesn't even start in the book of Bethlehem, but he gives the meta narrative of all of Scripture. And that meta narrative is the meta narrative, it's the whole story of human history, of cosmic history in the beginning God. That's how the book of Genesis starts out, and that's where Hebrews starts out. In the beginning, God. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Our worldview begins with that phrase. In the beginning, God. God was in the beginning. Jesus, as John 1 says, was in the beginning. Now we learn something about this phrase of verse 1. First of all, we learn that, yes, God was in the beginning. Long ago, there was God. But more importantly, we see that this God who has been forever created you and I to have a relationship with us. How do I know that? Because it says, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. Now, let's understand something. God created all of creation, both seen and unseen. And He put at the apex of His creation, you and I, humanity. And by doing so, He created us in order that we might have a relationship with Him. So we have this God who didn't just put everything in place and then go on a celestial vacation. He is a God that is interacting and relating to us personally. And so He begins to speak to us. Now we see that He spoke. First of all, He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And we know that, that He started with the patriarchs and and the prophets. What, What is being talked about here is how God speaks to humanity. Now, He speaks in a variety of ways. We know He speaks through creation. We know He speaks through our conscience. But most importantly, we see that He speaks through humanity. At different times and in different ways, God spoke. Now each one of these prophets, each of the patriarchs, while God spoke to them, He spoke to them in part. I want you to envision for a moment that the Old Testament is is pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. And, and, And every once in a while, God would give an individual, a prophet, a man appointed to share part of the story with people. He'd give them a piece and little by little, he gave some to Abraham, and some to Isaac, and some to Noah, and some to Moses, and Joshua, and some to Samuel, and other uh, men, like King David, and King Solomon, and then the prophets, the major prophets, and the minor prophets. All of them got different pieces of this jigsaw puzzle. They got part of the story. Now, we got these parts of the story in different ways. For some, it was through the law. and others, it was through wisdom. Still others, it was songs and history. And little by little, at various times and places, the Jewish people got to know a little bit more about who God was. You see, what we need to recognize is God is speaking. And a truth that we need to recognize is that if God, in fact, is speaking, what are we doing with it? You see, what the writer of Hebrews is telling the writers is, listen, get to know God in His Word. Because God's got something to say to us. And so that should cause us to revere the Word of God as the living and active Word that He'll talk about, greater than any double-edged sword. But there's another truth that we need to understand. And that is that through the Word, we get to know who God is, and we get to know what God's plans and purposes are. And so God has seen fit to reveal himself through his word. And so these Jewish Christians were able to know about Jesus, know about God, but it wouldn't be until Jesus came that they would know in full. You see, as the parts of the puzzles were being put together, people got an idea of what was going on, but it wasn't until Jesus came that we began to fully understand and know who God is and what his redemptive plan is all about. That's why the Apostle Paul said that this uh, knowledge about who God was and what he was going to do was a mystery until it was revealed in these latter days. And so we have before us, in Jesus, all that we need to know about God the Father, In fact, it was written by G. Campbell Morgan, a a, uh, British pastor of years ago, who said this, when God spoke to men through Christ, God said everything that He had to say, which means, he goes on to say, that He said everything that men need to hear. You see, when Jesus became one of us, He fulfilled everything and put the greatest exclamation point on every verse and every sentence of Old Testament Scripture. It was the aha moment. Now I know what He meant when He said this in Genesis. Now I know what He meant when He said this through Moses in Exodus. Now I know what He meant when the psalmist wrote these truths about this individual who was to come. It was Jesus. You see, every element and every prophecy, in every verse of Old Testament Scripture pointed to the coming of the Messiah. And that Messiah is Jesus' name above all names. You see, when Jesus came, He finally and He fully spoke on behalf of the Father. But notice, it's even more than that. Because when we stop there, that Jesus finally and fully spoke for the Father. We make Jesus out to simply just be a prophet. You see, that's what Islam says. Islam says that Jesus is in the line of the great prophets. But my friends, Jesus is more than that. Notice what the writer says. He says that this One who spoke to our fathers through the prophet has now spoken to us by His Son. Well, what do we need to know about this Son? Whom He appointed the Heir of all things. Through whom also He created the world. Now notice how He describes Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of His nature. Now let's stop there and understand a couple truths here. When it says He is the radiance of the glory of God, the Hebrew Christians that were the original audience would have understood that. The glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, was what Moses got to see let's be honest, Moses got to see the backside of the glory of God. And it turned his face as white as snow. It made him and his beard brilliant, even difficult to gaze upon because he had been in the presence where he had shared in the glimpse of the glory of God. This Shekinah glory was revealed within the Ark of the Covenant. It was veiled because sinful man couldn't see it. But in Jesus, that Shekinah glory was shown. That's why when Jesus tells the Pharisees, when you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. We know what He's talking about. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of our Father in Heaven. You see, when we look at Christ, we see most fully our God in heaven why because jesus shares the very nature of god being the second person of the trinity jesus is on par he is equal in every way to our god in heaven this is where the divine son is different from a human son now i have three sons and each of them share a little bit of of who i am they share a Striking resemblance to their dad. But Jesus is the exact representation, the exact imprint. The the picture there that is given is of a ring that would be put into wax as a seal. And the very representation that's put into that wax is the very representation of that ring. Jesus, when we see Jesus, we see all of who God is. He is deity, as Paul says in the book of Colossians, that dwelt in bodily form. You see, He's the very essence of God. Jesus is the greatest because He spoke fully and finally to us through Him. Now notice the second thing, and that is that uh, Jesus is the greatest because God exclusively saves through Him. Not only do we see God and hear from God most fully in Jesus, but it is through Jesus that we are saved. This is what Jesus said in John 14, verses 1-6. through He said, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I I want you to know something. People say Jesus is inclusive. Jesus utters the most exclusive words of all time. You want to get to God the Father in heaven? You've got to go through me. But if we stop there once again, then we make Jesus out to be a messenger. That Jesus has the divine directions of how man gets to God. But notice what the writer says. The writer says, after making purifications for sin, notice that in verse 3. This one who spoke fully and finally to us who points us to God went even a step further he made the way to God he did so by being our purification now let's stop there the original audience of these Hebrews would have fully understood what that meant because each year they would take a a lamb and they would place it on the altar. And it would be the best lamb they would have. And for a year, their sins were covered. For a year, their sins were atoned for. But what the writer says is, Jesus is better than any of those Old Testament sacrifices. Jesus is the greatest lamb. Jesus, as John says, is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. You see, Jesus. Now let's remember what we know about this Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God is the exact imprint of the nature and person of God. That Jesus, He put on flesh, and He made His dwelling among us. I want this to sink in. The God who upholds the universe, this Jesus, came to earth as a baby. And He learned humility. And he was obedient to sinful men. He walked with us. He talked with us. He ate with us. He prayed for us. He made us his friends. He healed us of our diseases. And he pointed us to the Father in heaven. All the while, we beat him, mistreated him, mocked him, and scorned him. We falsely accused him of being the son of the devil. And through a trial, calling him to crimes he didn't commit, we put him on a grisly cross built by the Romans to execute the most vilest of criminals. And what Jesus did in that moment was not call us out or destroy us with the power that was at his disposal. He laid down his life and died for you and me. He did that so that we might be purified from our sins, so that we might enter into a right relationship with God. Chuck Swindoll, the famed preacher, put it this way, the first Adam undid humanity by his disobedience, plunging the world into darkness, death, and sin, and suffering, But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, through His voluntary suffering and death on the cross, drove out darkness and banished death. What had been poisoned by sin was cured by the blood of Christ forever, once and for all. Never to be repeated. You see, as the author of Hebrews explains throughout, no earthly power could do this. No heavenly, angelic being could do this. And that is what makes Jesus the greatest of all time. He saved us from our sins. Now notice what this purification means. Once it was done, once He atoned for yours and for my sins, He sat down. Now, for the original audience, this would be so important. No more would they dedicate each day and each moment wondering, wishing, and hoping that they had done just enough to purify and purge themselves from their sins. You see, what they labored all of their lives to do, Jesus did once and for all. He sat down. And that meant that these Hebrews no longer had to worry about working and toiling and stressing about where they stood with God, that now Jesus had made purification for their sin. Jesus had done, because what He had done was He had finished it, just as He said He had done on the cross. He did it. And it's because of that finished work. You see, Jesus exclusively saves and that makes him the greatest of all time but notice one final truth and that is that God says Jesus is the greatest of all time because he powerfully sustains all things through Jesus notice verse three he upholds the universe by the power of his word Now there's a couple things that we need to understand. First of all, he upholds this creation, not as a celestial janitor or maintainer, but the writer says that he in fact is the one who created the world and the universe. So we see that he created it by the power of his word. And second we see he continually upholds it, and that is to make sure that everything is in its place where it needs to be. And that means a couple important truths. First of all, that whatever power the Father in heaven has, Jesus has the same power. So when we talk about Jesus, if we take any iota of power or strength away from Jesus that God has, we make him something that he is not. Jesus is the omnipotent God with all the attributes and all the abilities that our God in heaven has. But second we see an important truth, and that is is that there's not a single thing that is outside of the power of Jesus Christ. Now this is important for us to remember and understand. There is not a renegade molecule outside of the will and plan of God. There isn't an event that takes place where Jesus sits on His throne in heaven and says, oh my, I didn't see that coming. Now, this is an important truth for that original audience. They were experiencing hardships, they were experiencing difficulties, they were wondering if being a follower of Jesus Christ was worth all of the family grief that they got, whether or not their property that they had lost was worth following Christ, all of their troubles and all of their difficulties, they were wondering, was God really in control? And the writer right from the get-go says, the one who you've put your faith and trust in is the one who created and upholds the universe by the power of His Word. Now, brothers and sisters, we need this truth just as much as they did. We live in a world where a pandemic is taking place. We live in a world where it seems our cities are at war with one another. We live in a a time and place where more people now more than ever live without hope, wondering what the next big tribulation is going to come upon us. But for us as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe in a God. We worship Jesus Christ who has, as I remember, the whole world in his hands. Now, one final thing that I want us to recognize, and what I think the writer wants us to recognize, is if in fact Jesus created and now sustains the world. And when I mean world, I don't just mean earth. I don't just mean our solar system. I don't just mean the Milky Way, I mean what is seen and unseen. Every time we put out a telescope, what we learn is is as far as we can see, there's a whole lot more beyond it. However infinitely huge this universe is, God holds it and upholds it in His hands. And what that means for us, listen to me, this is incredibly important. What this meant for the Hebrew audience was that Jesus owned it all. He owns it all. And so what it means to follow Christ is to recognize that we live in His world. And we use his money, and we live in his house, and we raise his kids, and we work at his job. Everything. In fact, Abraham Kuyper, the Reformed theologian, put it this way. There is not one square inch of all of creation of which Jesus doesn't cry out, this is mine, this belongs to me. Why does Jesus say it? Because God fully and finally speaks through him. Because God exclusively saves through him, and because he powerfully sustains all things through whom? Jesus Christ, the greatest of all time. Now, that leads to three questions that we have to ask. If God is speaking through Jesus, brothers and sisters, are we listening? Are we listening? We're going to learn later on in this book. That the Hebrews weren't hearing, nor were they heeding the Word of God. Can that be said of us today? We need to open our ears. We need to open our hearts. And we need to hear and heed what God is saying. If God, in fact, is saving exclusively through Jesus, the second question we've got to ask is, are we believing? There are no doubt people that have tuned in to this broadcast who've never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And maybe for the first time, they heard not that Jesus was just a good teacher or just a peaceful man, but He, in fact, is the greatest of all time. That again, there are no contenders. There again are no equals to Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is who He is, and because of what Jesus has done, Jesus can say that if you do not believe in Him, if your name is not written in His book of life, then you'll be cast into the lake of fire. No person can say that. Only God can. And Jesus reminds us and calls every one of us to repent and believe. Jesus exclusively saves. Are you believing? And finally, It is through Jesus that God powerfully sustains and upholds all things. I know these days are rough. I know many of you have questions and concerns. Your world has been flipped upside down. That was true of the Hebrew audience that this man is writing to. And what he says is, look to Jesus and rest in Him. If Jesus is sustaining all things, then are you resting in that truth? Yes, it may be difficult. Yes, life may be hard. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, have you placed yourself in the almighty arms of Christ? You see, the writer in this opening text calls us to examine what we know about Jesus. And it leads the writer to say he's better than anyone. Notice verse 4. Jesus is better than the angels. We're going to talk about that next week. And we're going to talk about that even though the Jewish people held angels in high regard, and they should, they were amazing and are amazing creatures, but they are in no comparison to Jesus, the greatest of all time. Listen, friends the verdict is in. Can you see why Jesus is worthy of so much more than the world gives him credit for? That's why we, like this original audience of Hebrews, needs to fix our eyes on Jesus. Take our eyes off of what's going on in the world and focus in on Jesus. This Jesus who speaks to us. This Jesus who saves us. This Jesus who sustains us. We fix our eyes on Him, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before us endured the cross, scorning its shame. And just as it said in the first part of Hebrews, it will say later in Hebrews that He is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, the greatest place of honor, the greatest praise place of prestige. Jesus is enthroned in in glory being worshiped by myriads of angels and angels why because Jesus is the greatest of all time it is Jesus Messiah who is the name above all names worship him adore him serve him honor him with all that you say and do and you will experience my friends the greatest relationship that you could ever ask for or imagine